You're listening to the New Spring Church Podcast. We're glad you're here. We want everyone everywhere to have an everyday relationship with Jesus. And we hope that this helps you do just that. Well, howdy and good morning, everybody, on all of our campuses. Anderson Campus, can you help me welcome all 14 of our campuses and folks that are joining online? So glad that you're here. That's Pastor Michael Mulliken you just heard from. He is a lead pastor here at New Spring Church and he's just the best. I hope you get a chance to say hello to him at some point, but he is awesome. And uh, I feel great, but my voice sounds like that it was 80 degrees two days ago and then it was 30 degrees again today. So um, if you guys wanna pray for my voice, I would be so excited about that. But how you doing, New Spring? Everybody doing well? Good. Well, listen, I'm so pumped because we are going to uh, talk about overflow today. And last week we started this series and Pastor Clayton King did a tremendous job. It was a fantastic message about what it's like to live um, in the kingdom of God in everyday overflow. And, And I don't know if you walked out with the same phrase I did, but we were walking out with this phrase, make me a Macedonian. Remember that? Make me a Macedonian. A, a story I wanted to share from one of our campuses. Uh, we, had a, we have a business owner that's a part of one of our, in the upstate, one of our upstate campuses and, and reached out to us. She actually reached out and said, hey, we had somebody in our business. She owns a gym. Uh, and somebody in her gym came to them, the business owners and said, hey, I just found out about a family that's a part of the gym that's come into some financial stress and I wanna be a Macedonian and I wanna take care of their next three months membership so that they can keep coming to the gym with their kids. And here's the coolest part. The business owner didn't even know that that other family was a part of New Spring Church. Just happened to come and say, I wanna be a Macedonian, paid for another family so that they didn't have to stop being a part of the gym and their kids could keep being a part of the gym. And that's happening all over the state as people step into everyday overflow. Now, question on all of our campuses, where are my public school people at? You went to public school. Where are my public school people at? My hand is up, my hand is up. Now listen, if you went to... Um, you know, maybe you went to a private school. That's fine. That's good. Maybe you went, maybe we did the homeschool thing. That's fine. That's good too. No, no shade. But I just want to let you know something that us public school people know about. We know about a fight in the public school. Anybody ever seen a fight in public school? Come on, public school folks. Don't let me down now. All right. Now, I don't know what the deal is at homeschool, but that was just called sibling rivalry, right? Um, (laughs) In the public school, what happens when a fight breaks out? Public school people, what happens? What do people yell? What do they yell? Yeah, fight. And what does everybody do? Everybody runs to the fight. I hear you, Kelsey. You're right here yelling at me. Teachers, teachers that are now having to break up fights at the public school. All right, if there's a fight at the public school, it is like bees to honey, right? And everybody runs to the fight. Well, I remember one such incident Uh, growing up uh, at a public school and it was always in the spring. I don't know if it's the testosterone or whatever, but the springtime and somebody, when were the fights? The fights were either first thing in the morning, at the end of the day or at lunchtime, right on. This was a fight at lunch. So I'm sitting with my friends, minding my business, eating at the cafeteria, square pizza and all. And somebody hollered about fight and the whole the whole cafeteria empties, runs out to the courtyard and they can't even get to this fight. It's going crazy, people going nuts. But here's what I want you to know about the fight. Now, the best fights were girl fights. I don't know. (laughs) Hair, y'all don't talk about hair, nails, crazy. Now, what I'm not doing, I am not saying you should fight. 
All right, as a matter of fact, that's not what you should do at all. I'm just saying it happens, and when it does, everybody comes to see what's gonna happen, don't they? Now, here's why I'm bringing all of this up. There's a fight going on in the earth today, and people's eyes start to look, and attention gets drawn to the fight. Here's the fight I wanna point out at the start of this message. There is a fight going on in the earth around the things that we're gonna be stressed about, and so you and your neighbors and your coworkers, and if you're a college student, your parents perhaps, there's a fight in the earth. And I wanna show you what the top five stressors are in the earth right now. Stressor number one that everybody's feeling is inflation. It's a fight in the earth. Cost of living. How are people gonna handle this? What are we gonna do? How am I gonna make ends meet? Inflation, it's a fight. Stressor number two, global uncertainty. Taiwan and China, Russia and Ukraine. What's going on with the election? What are we gonna, global uncertainty, wars and rumors of wars. Stressor number three that you're feeling and so are your neighbors is money. It feels a bit redundant, like one and three are the same, but they're not. Inflation is when money's not worth as much as it used to be and then money's just money. How do I make it? Where do I get it? How am I gonna pay for my bills? How are we gonna buy Christmas presents? What's gonna take, take place when it comes to money. Stressor number four that you're feeling and so is everybody else around you, strained relationships. You start talking about money, marriages get strained. You start talking about politics, friendships get strained. No show of hands, but how many of y'all had different friends before 2020 than you have now? It's just true. There's relational friction, strained relationships. And then stressor number five is children's development. How are we gonna respond to the fact that we didn't go to school or we did school from home for like two years or six months, depending on where you are. These are, look at these, these are the top five stressors that everybody in the earth is feeling. Doesn't care if you're a Christian, not a Christian, doesn't care if you go to church, not sure. Why, why should you know this? Here's why. Because right now, when it comes to a fight in the earth, those five things are where everybody's eyes are. Why are we talking about this today? Well, when we talk about an everyday overflowing life, Christian, I want you to know the way you respond in the midst of the fight has got everybody's attention. The way you respond with your stuff in the midst of the fight actually makes a greater and more dynamic impact now than when everything is going well. How do I know this? Well, not just because I saw fights in the public schools growing up, but it's also because when you read a little bit of church history, there is a historian, his name is Rodney Stark, no relation to Tony Stark, but I'm sure he probably enjoys Marvel as well. Um, but Rodney Stark is a church historian, but what's crazy is he wasn't always a church historian. He was actually an atheist. And he got interested in trying to understand as an atheist, how come Christianity has grown so large through the thousands of years of church history. It just wasn't computing and wasn't adding up and making sense. So he starts to evaluate church history from the time of Jesus Christ to modern day. What have Christians been doing that has made such a difference in the earth? And he basically boiled it down to two things. You ready for them? These things are super powerful. The two things that he found was Christians handle sexuality and generosity different than everybody else. Those two things have been an apologetic to the world. That Christians through the Roman world, through political upheaval, good times and bad, 
they handle sexuality different. Now I'm not preaching about sexuality today. That's a whole nother day. But the long and the short of it is Christians were greedy with their sexuality. They actually loved the person they married and only the person they married. Where the rest of the world was generous with their sexuality. They were having sex with everybody and doing all kinds of sexual things with people they weren't married to, but not Christians. That's not what the sermon's about. So don't get nervous. What the sermon is about is generosity. Christians were also unbelievably generous with their stuff when everybody else was being greedy. When famines were happening, everybody was being greedy, but not Christians. They were being generous. When people were in need, when there was all kinds of, maybe it was a pandemic or maybe it was, there was literal food shortages, Christians were inviting kids, orphans into their home. They were creating opportunities for for kids that didn't have a family to be invited in. They were creating generosity in spaces where everybody else was being greedy and saying, I don't have enough. Christians were operating in a completely different ethic. Listen, and I want you to know that when there's a fight that breaks out in the world, your generosity is an apologetic. And so I am telling you, you should get excited about the opportunity that the stock market isn't as good as it used to be. And that what's going on in the economy and what's going on in the stress of global politics is causing some people to clinch and grab and say, mine and Christians, we have a chance to say, let me show you how to live differently. Now, how does this have to do with last week where Clayton was? Clayton spoke about being a Macedonian. And I want you to open your Bible, if you've got your copy of the scriptures with you today, to the book of Philippians chapter four. And the reason we're gonna open up our Bible there is the church of Philippi, which is where the book of Philippians was written, was a Macedonian church. It was a people that had experienced all the things that you heard about last week, hardship, famine, earthquake. But Paul writes to the Macedonian church and he tells them a secret. He tells them the secret that we're gonna get to evaluate today about what it's like to live in good times and bad and make a difference anyway. Because here's the deal, Christians, I want you to know this. Christian, look at me, you're not a victim. In Jesus' name, we actually get to be a victor and we actually get to happen to culture. We don't wait for culture to happen to us, amen? And so Paul's gonna show us how to happen to culture today in in the way of generosity. And so he writes these words at the very end of the book of Philippians. He writes these words in verse 11 of chapter four. Paul writes to the church there, In Philippi says, for I have learned in whatever situation I'm to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. Say circumstance, New Spring Church. One, two, three, circumstance. In every circumstance. I have learned the secret. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and the secret of facing hunger the secret of facing abundance and the secret of facing need. Look at these words. You've probably heard them before. Paul says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So maybe you've heard that verse taken completely out of context, right? If you've played any kind of sports, you've probably put it on your eye black. Philippians 4.13, right? I can do all things through a verse taken out of context. What Paul was talking about was doing all things no matter what circumstances are happening in the earth. And he uses this as an encouragement to the church in Macedonia that they would operate in this secret 
that they would operate in this kind of living. And I want you to know it made an impact in Philippi and it's made an impact in the earth for 2000 years. So today I wanna share with you two principles, very simple principles that Paul lived by and that the church in Philippi lived by and that you and I can live by no matter what happens out there, we can happen to culture instead of waiting on culture to happen to us. If you're ready for these two principles, say, I'm ready. All right, I'm ready. Principle number one is the principle of the first. The principle of the first. Now, if you've grown up in church, you've heard about the principle of the first, but essentially it goes like this. What we do and what we give when it comes to the first things in our life, it sets the pace for all the rest. The principle of the first. But if you're here and you're like, where does this come from? Why do Christians talk about the first and why it matters so much? Why do Christians tithe? Why do Christians go to church on the first day of the week? Why do Christians give the first part of their morning to the Lord and personal devotion? Why, why does it matter? I wanna show you a couple of places in scripture that'll help you understand why Christians care about this so much. The first one is actually where we get the word tithe from in the Bible in Genesis chapter 14. Genesis chapter 14, here's the context. We actually see this man named Abram. This is before his name is changed to Abraham. He's in a fight and he fights a whole bunch of other kings. He wins and then he meets the high priest of the Lord. It's a man named Melchizedek. Now that's just a fun name to say, Melchizedek. I'm gonna let you say it, okay? On all of our campuses, would you say Melchizedek on three? One, two, three, Melchizedek. See, I told you it was fun. Melchizedek. So what happens when he meets Melchizedek? Let's read. Genesis 14, it says, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, that's Jerusalem, king of Salem brought out bread and wine, communion. He brought it out. He was priest of God most high. And he blessed him. And he said, blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies in your hand. Now pause right here before we read the next part. So here's what's going on. God sends his priest to bless Abram. He's gonna bless him with all things. Now theologians call this right here a Christophany. It's the combination of two words, Christ and epiphany, Christophany. Theologians believe this is an actual Old Testament revealing of Jesus Christ. More, more than likely, this is Jesus Christ as the high priest Melchizedek. And he shows up to Abraham and he blesses him. And then upon that blessing, being blessed from God, Abraham turns and responds. Let's continue. It says, and Abram gave him a tenth of everything. This is the first time in the Bible, right down there, that we see the, the word tithe. The word tithe is just a Bible word that means a tenth. It means one out of 10. And so Abraham, after being blessed by God, shows God that he understands all things come from God by blessing the high priest. He gives him a 10th. So God's people throughout all of the Old Testament history do this. They practice this idea of tithing. Now, what's crazy about this example right here is this is before the law was even given to Moses. This was something that is outside of the law. Because when the law was given, they continue to tithe. But like many of us, it's not something that comes natural. You have to make yourself do it. You're not gonna drift to tithing. And so multiple times in the Old Testament, God sends his prophets and his preachers and his pastors 
to remind his people, hey, keep making the first things first. Make sure you're prioritizing the tithe. One of these prophets is a man named, um, uh, in, in the book of uh, Malachi, a man named Malachi. He's my favorite Italian prophet, Malachi. Malachi. Okay, sorry. Preacher joke. Malachi um, talks about this in chapter three, verse 10. He says these words, look at this. He says, bring the whole tithe to the storehouse, the temple, that there may be food in my house. And then look what God says here. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. So God sends his prophet Malachi to say, hey, People of God, don't forget, don't drift. Make the first thing first. Make sure you're giving the whole tithe to the the storehouse that there might be food in my house. And watch this, I'm gonna open the floodgates of heaven and send so much blessing your way. Now, here's where I need some audience participation. Has there been anybody who has trusted God with the tithe in their own life and would be willing to clap their hands and give a little shout, maybe a hallelujah or an amen on any of our campuses that they have seen God be faithful and fruitful to open up the floodgates of heaven and send a blessing your way. This is, this is such a big deal, but you will see that if you give God the tithe, you're gonna see him direct his stuff your way. And doesn't this make sense? If you can be trusted with the things of God by responding, by saying, God, I know it comes from you. I'm gonna prioritize it. God's gonna direct seed your way so that you might be able to use more for his kingdom. This is just the principle of the first. It's all over the scripture, friends. It's not just in the Old Testament. Jesus actually talked about it in the New Testament. Look at this. In Matthew 23, Jesus was correcting some some religious folks who were using the tithe inappropriately. Watch what Jesus says. He says, what sorrow awaits you teachers and religious, uh, of religious law and you Pharisees? He calls them hypocrites. For you are careful to tithe even the teeny tiniest income from your herb gardens, your cumin, your oregano, your dill, your mint. They were tithing on this, but watch this. Jesus corrects them and he says this but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. Look at these next few words. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. Now, that's written in red. Jesus said that with his own words. You should tithe, yes, but not so you can neglect the rest of what I'm trying to do here. Here was the point. These religious leaders were using the tithe to buy off God. They were were being so prioritizing the tithe that it thought, hey, I tithe so I can treat everybody else around me however I want. Um, Modern day context for us is I tithe so I can talk to my employees or my coworkers or my classmates however I want. I tithe so I can talk on social media however I want. I tithe so I can be rude to my spouse. I tithe so I can be harsh with my kids. I tithe so I don't have to be gracious and forgive. So the context here is Jesus is affirming the tithe, but he's saying, hey, I want to create in you a holistic and integrous reflection of my kingdom, not just tithing so you can do whatever you want to anybody around you and just say, no, but I'm a Christ follower, I tithe. So he's correcting that. And it's not just Jesus, Paul, doesn't just talk to the Philippian church about this. He actually talked to the Corinthian church about it. Look what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. He says this about tithing. 
on the first day of every week. What day is that, church? On the first day. What's the first day of the week? It is Sunday. Sunday. It's, it's the first day. Side note, one of the reasons that you get out of bed and you show up at church on a Sunday is not just the days that your football team wins on Saturday, not just the days that it's sunny. It's because it's the first day and you're saying, God, I wanna make it about you because I'm gonna make the first about you because the principle of the first. And I know, God, I'm gonna make the first day about you. So, hey, give yourself a hand if you made it to church today. You're making it about him, okay? But Jesus in 1 Corinthians 16 tells us that on the first day of every week, Each of you is to put aside something and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. So what's Paul talking about? He's saying, hey, if you're making a little bit of money as a high school babysitter, put some of that away. Hold on to your tithe, make sure you're ready. If you're making some money as a nine to five employee, put some of that aside, make sure you're ready. If you're making, he's just saying to the church, part of following Christ is to continue to practice making the first things first. And he encourages the Corinthian church to make sure you're keeping up with your tithe. Here's all I want you to do is jot this down. The tithe is just very simply prioritizing your first and your best to God. That's what the tithe is. The tithe of your time, the time of your tithe of your income, the tithe of your attention. I'm going to give you God my first and my best. Now I've got an example here that my parents showed me, but because of inflation, I don't have dimes. I have dollars up here. Some of you um, economics folks will get that. Okay. So back in the day, I was I was raised doing this. Okay. I don't know anything different than this. My mom and dad, they're they're at one of our campuses this morning. They taught me this. Like, hey, if you'll take out the trash and you'll make your bed and you'll we'll pay you. And then one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And then they would ask me as a little boy, now what's the tithe? What, what's God? What's God's? And of course, it's the it's the last one or the first one. New Spring Church. It's the First one, okay, so this is his. And, and so I would get my little dime and I'd hold it in my hand and I'd go to church and I would give the Lord my tithe. I don't know any different, but here's what I wanna tell you. When I came on church staff 16 years ago, I found out something that shocked me. Do you, want, you know what the national average is of Christians who say they follow Jesus and actually tithe is? Do you know what the national average is? Anybody got any guesses? 20%, I wish, 3%. 3%. Now, the good news is here at New Spring Church, you are not the national average. We're way above that. But I just want you to know, if you're like leaning in and trying to figure that out, here's here's what ends up happening. Because it's just, the reality is we don't put first things first, not in our nature. We actually do this. We get our paycheck. And I don't know about you, but anybody out there got a mortgage? Like, yeah, the bank is getting in my, right there. Anybody out there got a car payment and can't drive a Honda Civic, right? You know what I mean? Sorry, Honda Civic drivers. Okay, I can't be driving a used car. And then I gotta take my girl on a date. Anybody think dating your wife or your spouse is important? We can't be going to Wendy's, can't be ordering off the 99 cent menu. I gotta take her out with a proper meal and a waiter and a waitress, right? I gotta get my kids some clothes. Does anybody remember the good old days where you used to just pay one charter company for cable, but now you gotta pay Disney and Netflix and Hulu? And man, that NFL red zone, that's so cool, Ah, right? And so we just, it jumps out of our pocket. Listen, if if you don't have a plan for your income, it's gonna just disappear. It's going to. You gotta tell your income what to do or it'll tell you how to live. 
and you're a Christ follower. So if you're following Jesus, you're not gonna let culture dictate to you, but instead, otherwise, you're just gonna live in a place where you're just kind of giving God a tip. You're gonna say instead, when you get yours, you're gonna say, God, you get my first and my best. Bam, there's the tithe. And do you know what happens? This little fella right here, he turns around and he starts telling the rest of my life how to live. Because you start to filter everything through your first and your best. So, okay, do I need to live in a home like that? Okay, do I need to drive that kind of a car? Do I need to, do I need to give Disney and Hulu and all of my, or is there something at the end of my 90% that we don't actually need because God, you're getting my first and my best. This is the principle of first. This is the principle of tithing. Now, in case some of you, like Clayton said last week, think this is what I'm gonna do one day when I've made it, Listen to this quote by John Rockefeller. Anybody ever heard of the Rockefellers? Anybody ever gone to Rockefeller and, and done a little ice skating in the wintertime up in New York City? Here's what John Rockefeller said. He said, I never would have been able to tithe the first million dollars I ever made if I had not tithed my first salary, which was $1.50 per week. And so I just wanna commend to you, college student, young married couple, maybe Put this into practice. It's a principle that God's people have been doing throughout all of human history. No matter what happens in culture, it's gonna set you up to walk in everyday overflow. But I also wanna tell you that many of you have heard this one before. The next principle, some of you have never heard about. This second principle is the principle number two and it's the principle of mastering the margins. Mastering the margins. Now, where is this principle? Is that in the Bible anywhere? Let me show it to you. Leviticus chapter 19 says these words, God's people, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edges. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after the harvest and you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. Why? You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord, your God. Now, let me give a little context to this right here. So before God's people were in the promised land, does anybody remember where God's people were all located? They were in the nation of Egypt and they were all located there. And what was their day in and day out role? What were they in Egypt, God's people? They were, okay, they were slaves. But God miraculously delivers them to a promised land. And what did God tell them? He told them, you're gonna live in homes you didn't build. You're gonna have fields that you didn't plant and you're gonna have lands that were not yours. I'm gonna give them to you. And so Leviticus 19 was written to help them remember that not only are you gonna tithe and make the first things first, but I want you to leave the edges. I want you to leave the margins of your field. Once you go through one time, don't go through a second time and pick up every piece. If, if the wind blows and some of the grapes fall on the ground, you just go get the grapes that are on the tree. Leave the ones on the ground for the poor, the sojourner, and the widow. Master the margins. And so God's people did this. Like they literally did this. One of the people that did this was a man named Boaz. And if you know the Bible, the story of Ruth is the story of a widow and a foreigner who made it to God's land, the promised land, and she goes around behind this generous man named Boaz and she collects some of the grain from his field. As a matter of fact, he was so generous, he was like throwing down extra on the ground because maybe, maybe Ruth was pretty, I don't know. But they end up getting married. Here's the whole point. They were Jesus's great, 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 great grandparents. And how did that happen? It was a man living with margin. Now, 
Look at me on every campus. You might be saying, okay, but what's the New Testament equivalent? Why, why are you talking about this today? Here's one of the things I'm convicted of. I was raised and it was very easy for me to give God my first and my best when it came to my tithe. But in American culture, in a world where we talk about efficiency all the time, in a world where my phone tells me how much time I spend looking at its screen, I just wanna suggest that maybe we haven't left a whole lot of margin in our lives. And so when it comes to our time, there's not a lot of margin. How many of y'all, if you're being honest, you run into somebody, maybe even today, this morning in the atrium at New Spring Church, and you say, hey man, how you doing? And you, you, you hear them say, oh, things are going good, but I'm busy. December's coming. How, what's December gonna feel like? New Spring Church is gonna feel busy. The new year's gonna happen. 2023 is like six weeks away and you're gonna see somebody say, hey, happy new year. How'd your new year go? How's the new year getting started? Oh, it's going good, but I'm busy. And if we're not intentional, we'll use up all of our margins. We'll use up every minute of every day. We've, come, we've become unbelievably efficient at whatever we make, we spend. Whatever resource I get, I spend it. Whatever time I've got, I spend it. One of the things we've got to learn is to master our margins. Now, listen to me. One of the coolest things that happens in the margins, and you need to write this down, is miracles happen in the margins. I want to give you an example of one. I've had so many conversations with New Spring people through the last couple of months. This conversation's happened multiple times. Hey, I, um, I'm actually coaching my son in t-ball. I'm actually coaching my daughter in, in soccer. And I didn't think I could do it, but we figured out a little bit of time to create some margin. And the coolest thing's happening because not only am I coaching my kid, but I'm actually ministering to other families, to other kids, to other needs that are in my community. And I'm doing it as a t-ball coach. I'm doing it as a football coach. I'm doing it as a soccer coach in the margins. Well, you know what doesn't happen? If mom and dad, you're busy with every single minute and you let somebody else do it, then you're gonna miss the miracles that take place in the margins. But I just wanna say this. Do you know who ought to be coaching every t-ball league in the state of South Carolina? a Christian who loves Jesus and can minister to the other families that are never gonna show up in a church building, at least not until they're invited by you because you're making room in the margins, amen? Make room in the margins. How about this one? Maybe you've had a conversation with a coworker and you realize they're going through something. You can just tell in their body language and you say, hey, what's going on? And they say, I've got some things in my marriage right now that are just not good. Or maybe their spouse has lost their job or they're dealing with stuff. And instead of just saying this old word, oh, I'll pray for you, I'll pray for you. You say this, hey, I'll pray for you. And do you wanna get lunch or coffee maybe next week? Cause I got some margin. And I just thought maybe maybe we could get together and I could hear you out and, and give you some wise counsel from the word of God. And, and I could just actually live a life that makes room in the margins and not just say the old phrase, I'll pray for you. Just, I don't know if this has happened to you before, but I've definitely been guilty of the I'll pray for you thing. And I've not actually cared for my friends, my coworkers, other people in my community in the margins. But if we make room in the margins of our life for the edges of our field, for our resources, our energy and our time, I'm believing God is going to do some incredible things because that's how you live in everyday overflow. Jot this down, here it is, these two principles. If you will prioritize the principle of the first and you'll prioritize mastering the margins, you're gonna see in your life you're living in everyday overflow. Super practical, 
super handles that aren't dictated to by society. God's people have been doing this for 2000 years. And when God's people do this, the world takes notice. It's the truth of our history books. And oh, by the way, it's also the truth of revivals. If you wanna see an awakening, you wanna see people get saved and you wanna see people come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, then one of the things that you'll see in the scriptures and in church history is when God's people start living this open-handed, overflowing life, it makes a way for the gospel to go out because it is so counter-cultural to the way everybody else lives. So here's a question that I wanna put before us today. I believe that God right now is looking for men and women that he can entrust his kingdom to. That's what the story of the Bible talks about it all the time. God is looking for men and women that hey, can be trusted with his kingdom. I'm gonna read it to you here in just a moment. But the question is this, can we be trusted? Can we be trusted? And every single time, no matter what's going on in culture, we prioritize the principle of the first, and every single time, no matter what's going on in culture, we create some margin in our life for friends and family, for the surprise stranger we might run into. We are telling God, God, you can trust me with your kingdom. Jesus was actually talking about this in Matthew chapter 25. And I'm gonna read it in just a moment, but I wanna invite all of you on all of our campuses to your feet for this. Would you stand up? We're gonna respond in just a moment, but I wanna make sure you hear this. Jesus was sharing this exact parable about entrusting people with his kingdom and, and the way that they responded in generosity. And I want you to make sure you see it. Here's what it says in Matthew 25, starting in verse 31. Jesus says this, when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he'll sit on his glorious throne and before him will be gathered all the nations, just like at church today. Everybody's gonna be standing. And he'll separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he'll place the sheep on his right, but the goats he'll put on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, so he's talking to the sheep. Here's what he's gonna say. Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Pause, here he is. The king is looking for people he can entrust his kingdom to. Right there it is in black and white. It's in the text. He's looking for people that he can entrust the kingdom to. Now watch what he does. Since the foundations of the world, he's gonna make a, a declaration. He's gonna say, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. What's crazy is look at how the sheep respond. They're confused. What do you mean? When did we do this? I don't remember meeting you, Jesus. I don't remember meeting you in those spaces. And he's gonna clarify. He's gonna say, hey, here's when you did it. Watch this. He says this. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them and say these words, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of my brothers, you did it to who? You did it to me. Here's the point. In final eternal judgment, Jesus is saying that, hey, 
I'm gonna be able to separate a people that live generously from a people who lived not generously. I'm gonna, it's gonna be so clear that yes, salvation, don't get this messed up. I need to make sure you understand this. Salvation does not come by works. These people are not getting saved and getting to enter into heaven because they were generous. No, salvation comes by the act of Jesus Christ receiving his sacrifice on the cross through faith alone. But those that have received Jesus and his salvation on the cross are going to be so spirit-led and spirit-filled that their lives are going to look so distinct from everybody else. This is such, such an important thing. Make sure you see what Jesus is saying. There will not be any greedy Christians in heaven. That's what he's saying. The greed and Christianity are countercultural. My people are going to live a prioritization of me as the first, and my people are gonna live where they've got room in their lives to overflow to the needs of their brothers, their sisters, those that they run into, the stranger. My church will be so different than the rest of the world. It's gonna be easy to separate the, the righteous from the unrighteous. And so my question for us to reckon with today is, can I be trusted? And maybe you felt the Holy Spirit even move and said, gosh, I wanna be trusted. Show me how. We want to help shepherd you, okay? So here's what I want you to do. If you got your cell phone right now on all of our campus, I want you to take them out right now, please, please. You might have to reach down and get them. Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna send you an email tomorrow morning. And in this email, we're gonna load it up with a resource that we have already purchased on your behalf. It's called Ramsey Plus. It's gonna help you create a budget, help you create living in this kingdom way. And we want to see you win here because the kingdom of God talks about this. So here's what I need you to do. I need you to just simply text the word need to know to that new spring number 30303. 10,000 of you are already included in this email because you're already getting this tomorrow morning. It's 7 a.m. tomorrow morning. We will send you an email with a resource in it to help you live this way. So that when the fight is breaking out in the earth, you can live different. And people are gonna go, why does she live like that? Why does that family live like this? How come they live like this? We wanna see you win here, okay? So that's one of the practical applications. The next one is just this. We're gonna create some response time like we do at the end of our gathering. So if you're one of our response ministry team, could you go ahead and move? And I wanna invite you to, um, Go ahead and take up your stations. But here's the deal. If you have never given your life to Jesus Christ, one of the ways that you might recognize you've never done this is that you live in a way that's mine and, and, and you hoard. You're not gonna be able to do this in your own nature and strength. The only way that you're gonna live this way is you're going to, again, Give your heart to Christ. Receive the generous gift of God in his firstborn son. And the generous gift of God is gonna create generosity in his people. There's a cross in your room at your campus. And if you've never given your life to Christ, then in just a moment when everybody else begins to move, if you feel him saying, come, receive my salvation. I wanna invite you to that cross. We've got a volunteer team that'll meet you there. We'll pray with you and help you take your next step in receiving Christ. But if you're a Christian, I wanna invite you to come and receive communion. Come and take the body and blood of Christ again and be reminded in these days of the generosity of our Lord as you go and live a generous life in these seasons. We've also got prayer teams if you need to come and receive prayer. We've got the response time to give God your worship. And I wanna point out one other opportunity to respond. I wanna let you look around in all of our rooms, we've got give boxes on the walls. 
One of the reasons that we create response time in giving is because giving is an act of worship. There's no way to separate it in scripture. Giving our first and our best, giving a tithe and an offering, it's an act of worship. And so as we respond and worship God, I just want you to know that some of you might need to go and give for the very first time and say, God, I trust you in this. I wanna live that everyday overflowing life. I want you to make a plan. I'm gonna pray and then I'm gonna invite you to move. Okay, let's pray together. Father God, thank you for exemplifying this because you gave Jesus Christ We have the most famous verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And Lord, your generosity is what made a way for all of us to enter into eternal life, to be welcomed into your family. And so Lord, I pray you would make us a generous people. Continue to work in our hearts so that we might live an everyday overflowing life. Show us how to do this, God. In this day of inflation, in this day of unrest, that we would be a shining and bright city on a hill in the midst of the darkness and the greed that we're surrounded with in our culture. Show us how to live this in the margins of our life. And Lord, we pray for the miracles that we're gonna see this week in the margins. And as we come to your table again and receive your gracious body and blood, would you create in us a people that would be willing to be broken and poured out as well so that others might be reached in our communities. We love you, Jesus. We give you all the honor and glory as we respond. In Christ's name we pray, amen, amen. Would you respond? Thanks for listening to the New Spring Church Podcast. Make sure to visit our website at newspring.cc for more content, including videos, articles, and devotionals to help you have an everyday relationship with Jesus. Or plan a visit to one of our campuses across the state of South Carolina.